Bada bing, bada boom, etc., etc. It's another edition of Fangraphs Audio. I am Carson Sestouli, Fangraphs contributor and occasional destroyer on this particular edition of the pod. We invite Mr. Matt Clausen and Dave Cameron to the incredibly round table. In this episode, we look first at some talented young pitchers, Brett Anderson, chief among them. Secondly, we cast our gaze at the Houston Astros, and we ask, how bad are they? Really bad or historically bad? And of course, what would an episode of Fangraph's audio be without a close personal investigation of Mr. Colby Lewis? All of this and more White Hot Analysis on Fangraph's audio right now. Yes, it is indeed another episode of Fangraph's audio. I am here sitting at this round table with a couple of a pair of sworn enemies. The first guy is uh, is a gentleman who who couldn't get enough root, root beer last week when we were recording the podcast. He's previously been known as Devil Fingers. He's now known as Matt Clausen. How are you, Clausen? I'm good. Good. You know, you you referred to me. You said I think you said you are my enemy. Uh, yeah, watch your back. Watch my back. I will do that. Speaking of enemies, there's another guy here. Uh, he's a co-proprietor of USS Mariner. Uh, he writes for the Wall Street Journal. Fangraphs editor. His name is Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron, how are you, sir? Uh, don't worry, Carson. I've got your back. Only so that I have a better opportunity to stick a knife into it. <laughs> That's good. This is kind of like that scene from uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs. We all have our guns on each other. Right. I right. Believe except, except we have mice. We have mice. On each other, <laughs> because of the computers. I think you mean computer. Oh, okay, yes. right. Well, I actually have a. Uh, uh, never mind. Let's talk about baseball. How about and see what happens. Uh, what the, a good idea. The, the the beginning is is the best place to start, as uh, as Clausen uh, noted in a, in a recent episode of the pod. Let's do that, Cameron. We instituted a uh, weekly chat. It looks like here at Fangraphs. It's Wednesday. I think Wednesdays maybe noon to one Eastern time. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, okay, correct. Uh, and during that chat, someone asked you, an astute reader asked you and uh, perhaps, the, perhaps the rest of the cast there that was involved in the chat, they said, Steven Strasburg, not Strasburg, Strasburg versus Brett Anderson. And I think that you mentioned, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you said, you know, it's actually closer than, than you might think. Now, I know Brett Anderson's yeah. a good pitcher. Why is it closer than, than we might think? Yeah, I mean, you know, Strasburg's gotten uh, an inordinate amount of hype, and, you know, duly so. It's, it's You know, there's not a lot of pitchers out there who throw 100 miles an hour for seven innings, and Strasburg is really legitimately the best college pitcher that anyone's ever seen, and when he comes up, I think Strasburg's going to be terrific. I, I'm not worried about Strasburg. This isn't a knock on Strasburg. I just love Brett Anderson, like, in a uh, <laughs> a, a very loving way. I think <laughs> Brett Anderson is essentially, if you were going to draw up a pitcher, it would look a lot like Brett Anderson's. Left-handed, uh, throws two fastballs, a, a nasty two-seamer that gets a lot of ground balls, and then he's got a four-seamer that you can run up to 96-97, they just blow by hitters, and he's got this ridiculous uh, breaking ball that is tough against both left-handed and right-handed hitters that he can uh, bury in the dirt and rack up strikeouts. Uh, he throws a big slow curve to keep right-handers off balance, so he's got four pitches, um, throws strikes, knows how to pitch, uh, hits his spots, and he's 22 years old. So we have a ground ball and who throws strikes and is already uh, way ahead of the game in terms of understanding how to set hitters up. It really, there's not too many flaws. I think Brett Anderson's one of these guys where 
people talk about Felix and Lincecum and Granke and some of the best young pitchers in baseball. For me, Brett Anderson is right there. He's with those guys. He might not be quite as good yet, but you know, give him six months, and I think we'll be talking about Brett Anderson as a future Cy Young winner. Clausen, are you shocked by this? Are you shocked by what Dave Cameron's saying, or do you kind of uh, do you kind of feel him on this in this in this account? Well, I feel him. I kind of think it's uh, he, he's so good. It's almost. Uh, not interesting to talk about. I mean, obviously it is, but I mean, it's like, what are you going to say? Who doesn't like Brett Anderson? Well, I, 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 we could celebrate, no, no, we could celebrate the man that is Brett Anderson. Well, yeah, I, I know. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. It's almost, uh, uh, we just talk in superlatives about him. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know how to, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't, I, I should say, I personally don't know how to compare him with somebody like Strasburg, blah, blah, blah. And Dave's points all there are all right. Uh, in terms of, uh, you, you, in terms, you know, we've never seen anybody like it's Strasburg, but just given given Anderson's age, how old is? Aren't they about the same age? Yeah, they're both twenty-two. Yeah, and that's just it's and Anderson's just, already pitching at a high level uh, in the major yeah. leagues, which which is the right. exciting part. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's that's the part of it that that's uh, exciting. I mean, he's already done it. I mean, anything could happen with Strasburg. Anything could happen with Anderson, right? <laughs> they could they could both blow out their shoulders tomorrow and, and never be effective again. I don't think that's going to happen, but. You know, here's what I wanted to ask Dave, though. I think let's we we can. Oh, you're, you're going to ask a question now. Well, is it okay? Yeah. Okay. Fine. You know, I just wanna, let's 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 test Dave's baseball love for Brent Anderson. Like, let's. I'm going to start low and let's go. Let's get it. See how high we can get it. Would you trade? Uh, listen, we're starting low, everyone. So, who, would you trade Ian Snell for Brent Anderson? Uh, <laughs> I, I would. I would have to think hard, but uh, probably. Okay. How about uh, uh, Ryan Roland Smith? Yeah. Are you are you testing his his Seattle homerism right now? Well, yeah, that's all. That's how about uh, well here here's an interesting one because because of co- contract situations. Uh, how about Tim Lincecum? If you uh, had Tim, yeah, Lincecum, I, I, right? I would trade Tim Lincecum and what he's going to be making over the next few years straight up for Brett Anderson. And I know that that will sound crazy because whatever Lincecum has two Cy Young, Lincecum's making like fifteen million dollars. You could find Brett Anderson like a six year deal for fifteen million because he's not even arbitration eligible until after next season. So. You know, for the relative difference between the two, which again is not as large as people think, considering Anderson pitches in the AL and Lince comes in the National League, with the salary difference, absolutely. Brett Anderson will rank higher on the trade value series this summer than Tim Lince will. Yeah, see, this is why it's interesting. And here, here, let's 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 do one more. How about for uh, Felix? Yeah, I would. You know, I love Felix, but five years, eighty million dollars. The Mariners are on the hook for a, a ton of money if Felix's arm goes south. There's a lot of risk there. Where, uh, you know, Felix is better than Brett Anderson, but he's not demonstrably better than Brett Anderson to where I'd rather pay him $80 million over the next five years versus the, you know, 20 that Brett Anderson might make. The risk factor is dramatically different where the, the upside factor is not a lot. So How about Evan Longoria? Today, <laughs> no. Longoria, Longoria is the most valuable player in baseball with that contract. Well, that's an insane contract. I'm not sure Evan Longoria's agent may never I mean, work again. Yeah, yeah it's bad. Well, Cameron, let's, let's, uh, let's look at this for a second. It seems as though um, if, you know, uh, uh, taking a glance at it, that Brett Anderson is kind of the archetypal version of a mold of pitchers that maybe we're starting to see. I don't know if we're just starting to see them or maybe I'm just having to, to notice them. But uh, if you look at, for example, at Ricky Romero's profile, now obviously Romero's kind of um, in the public consciousness at this point because he, he had a no-hitter going in, into the eighth inning the other day, but he does a lot of the same things from what I could tell is that he can strike out guys. I think he had 12 12 strikeouts and the attempt at the no-hitter, and he also gets ground balls. Uh, maybe a little bit less high profile, you have uh, Justin Masterson, who I think you pointed out, uh, we're, again, we're recording this on a Friday, you pointed out just today on the uh, on the site 
that he has uh, the second lowest xFIP in the entire league, and most of it's because he gets the strikeouts and the ground balls. Is this a new development? Is this something that Carson Stilley has just noticed? And what is it about these pitchers that makes them so good? Yeah, I mean, I think teams are starting to uh, look more for this type of pitcher. Um, we've seen success from guys like Abaldo Jimenez, who combine uh, high ground ball rates and high strikeout rates, and can uh, with those two things. If you can do both of those things, you can cruise along, uh, getting ground balls when you've got a big lead, keep your pitch count down, and work deep in the games. But if you get runners on and you have the ability to blow a hitter away when you need to, that really makes you extremely effective and can really help you pitch a lot of innings. Roy Halladay has done this for years, throwing 230, 240 innings a year because he can cruise when he needs to with the sinker and he can blow hitters away when he when he needs to. And so uh, this is certainly a, a kind of pitcher that teams I think are looking for more. Uh, I, w- I don't know that I would put Ricky Romero or Masterson in the same category as Anderson. I think Romero is more of a sinker changeup guy who can you know mix speeds and keep hitters off balance, but he doesn't have Brent Anderson's fastball and. Uh, he doesn't have Anderson's breaking ball either. I think uh, Romero's maybe more of a mid-rotation starter, where Anderson, I think, is an ace. And Masterson, I think, is like one of the interesting things when you watch Anderson pitch is he's mostly a fastball slider guy. Those are the two pitches he throws the most, which is similar to Masterson. And there's actually a lot of fastball slider guys. Most of the ones who are relying on those two pitches will run big platoon splits. We've talked about this with Dave Allen before, is both of those pitches generally have large platoon splits. So in Masterson's case, he's great against right-handers and terrible against lefties. Anderson's breaking ball, part of what makes him so good is it's actually a weapon against both sides, where Masterson's slider really only works against right-handers. And that was kind of my point on the post today is, you know, Masterson's off to a great start, but it's because he's been facing two lineups mostly right-handed, when he has to face a left-handed lineup, like, say, the Yankees or something, they're going to eat him alive because he doesn't have anything to throw those guys. Uh, Anderson's ability to keep right-handers and left-handers off balance with that breaking ball and the two different fastballs really sets him apart. I think Romero's a nice mid-rotation guy. Masterson might end up in the bullpen if he can't figure out how to get lefties out, but Anderson's really nice. Hey, Clausen, there's, you know, we're talking about some pretty great young pitchers here. Obviously, uh, Sort of uh, for your your home team, the Kansas City Royals, they don't have a ton of bright spots, but they do have Zach Greinke. Uh, obviously, he's been discussed um, uh, far and wide on the interweb. But I'm curious in terms of his approach. We were sort of talking about the Brett Anderson approach about being able to throw a sinker and then you know having guys on, being able to strike guys out. I feel like maybe Greinke's ground ball rates aren't fantastic. How, how does he go about it instead? Well, I, I I can't I don't have the scouting perspective that Dave has, but with with Grinky, uh, you often thought of him as being a flyball guy, uh, definitely prior to 2009, uh, and he is, but it's it's he's more balanced uh, now uh, than he has been in the past. With Grinky, prior to 2009, his slider was by far his best pitch. Now his fastball was, I mean, it's not to say his fastball was good. It just wasn't. Uh, sorry, it's not to say his fastball wasn't good prior to 2009, but he really started to dominate with it, uh, I think, it, it, it to, uh, in 2009, uh, to an extent he hadn't before, uh, and, and he's got a decent, uh, he's got a good curve as well, um, but yeah, he's not a, he's, he's not a ground ball pitcher the same way that, uh, say, Anderson uh, would be, These guys. Um, although though he's, he's, he, I think he's made a conscious decision to, uh, uh, in 2009, to try to to, to get more ground balls to, 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 to on one hand, it's weird. On one hand, he, he attacked, the, uh, he talked about attacking the zone more, but on the other hand, he was getting in 2000, I'm talking about 2009, 2010s, uh, pretty early. On the other hand, he was getting guys, especially early in the year, in, in 2009, to swing at pitches outside of the zone like crazy. So, uh, as, uh, 
as usual, there's a little bit of a disconnect. As not, I shouldn't say as usual. As so often is the case, a disconnect between what a player says he's doing and and what uh, the numbers say he's doing. Right. Hey. All right. So, so Clausen, I want to stick with you for a second. Um, we were just talking about the Royals there, and of course, uh, the, they don't necessarily have the uh, highest hopes uh, among the major league teams. You actually wrote about a team that whose hopes are even maybe uh, less high. Um, we're talking about misery here. You wrote an article about the Houston Astros, who I think until Thursday evening were winless. Is that right? Were they 0-8? You wrote a post over at the TMI blog, uh, part of the ESPN Insider, and, of course, Fangraphs contributes to their site, uh, I think, five days a week uh, at this point. You're writing about the Houston Astros. How miserable are the Astros, Matt Clausen? Are they historically, or is, or is this just an isolated thing this season? Well, you know, we always hope for historical events to happen, but I have to tell Astros fans that uh, they're horrible, but uh, I'm sorry to say they will not be historically horrible. I know that the the people on Corpus Christi are restraining themselves or throwing themselves into the sea upon hearing that news, but no, they're just they're just terrible. I believe that's actually the Gulf down there in uh, near Corpus yeah. Christi. It's a Gulf. Well, it's, uh, I meant the sea generally. Oh, okay. You know, that's you know in, in the the old English sea. Yeah, the Astros the Astros are pretty bad. We can talk about this. Uh, uh, what what Dave? Where was it that you said that we you wish you had places lower than twenty nine and thirty in our to, to redo <laughs> yeah. organization range for the Astros? With the Astros, I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, it's almost like it's just Astros. That's, I, I mean, they they were terrible. I mean, I don't even know who's surprised by this. Maybe I need to read more of the mainstream media stuff. But everyone knew they were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Maybe the worst. Maybe not, but yeah, they and they're in this weird place where they do have some you know decent players, but they're all older. So this is where I think some of us would say that the, the Royals have a leg up. They have now whatever. We're not going to try to distinguish which front office ownership situation is is worse. That's a that's that's a tight race. But in terms of the I shouldn't say immediate future, but like a couple years down the road, the Astros don't really have much. The Royals have some guys now. Of course, a lot of them are pitchers uh, for the Royals, so they may all get hurt. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a huge you know, high of the normal attrition rate, most likely, unless Dayton Moore is the greatest scout uh, pitching scout of all time, and I'm going to take the under on that. Although, I mean, there, there are some good arms, but with the Astros, so but, but the, as far as the present team goes, well, let's put it this way. They're hitting Pedro Feliz third today. Oof. I'm not sure. Is there anything that can top that, Dave? Well, uh, I mean, the Mariners hit Jose to do a cleanup a couple of years ago, but then they fired everybody. So hopefully the Astros come to their senses. Hey, hey Cameron. Uh, Cameron, I have a question for you. What, uh, yeah. you know, we're talking about the Astros here. One of the favorite, I think, one thing that especially maybe uh, baseball nerds like to speculate on, if we take uh, bad team X, and in this case, bad team X is the Houston Astros, and we, we've we've pitted them against the best triple-A team, uh, you know, of, of course, around, uh, you know, either the International League or the Pacific Coast League, you know, if we, we played them against each other a thousand times, you know, what, would, would the best triple-A team, you know, come out with a, you know, above a 500 winning percentage? I have a question. Do you think that's true of the Houston Astros now? Would, would they would they end up losing against the best triple-A team? And then is there any sort of precedent where you could think of a team that was so bad that a triple-A team might beat them? You know, I think right now uh, the Astros have enough good pieces, and there aren't isn't one dominant AAA team. Where I think if you you put the like for me, probably the best AAA team right now is the Sacramento Rivercats. The A's always load up that team with uh, older veteran guys, and you know they've got Jack Cuss down there hitting between Chris Carter and Michael Taylor. So in the middle of their lineup is actually 
so far superior to what the Astros are throwing out there. But you know, the Astros still have Royals, Walton, Wandy Rodriguez, and some pretty pretty decent pitchers at least. And uh, there's not a Triple A team that has a major league pitching staff because you know otherwise they'd be in the major league. So uh, no, I don't I don't think there's any team out there that would beat the Astros. There was a team a couple years ago, the Durham Bulls, when the the Rays were. Uh, promoting all these guys and had that amazing farm system and you know Upton and all those guys were down there. Uh, they had a team that could probably have would have been able to run with this Astros team. Like there, there's a there were some really really good teams coming through Durham a couple of years ago and this Astros team is really really bad. So I think if you would have pit, pit like the 05 or 06 Tampa uh, Durham Bulls against this Astros team, you might have actually had an interesting series. Hey, uh, Clausen, you said something that that um, is sort of interesting to me. You said we always want historical things to happen, and I'm curious. And of course, maybe as a Royals fan, this is something that you deal with on a you know a consistent basis. Do you think that if you're cheering for a bad team, in some way you want them to be absolutely bad, like the worst? There's something almost cathartic about them being uh, historically bad, as opposed to maybe where the Astros are now. Yeah, the worst team that's playing in the majors, but not the worst team that will have ever played in the majors. Um. Maybe, but no. I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, the truth is, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some long, well, I hate the long-suffering fan act that uh, certain fan bases have perfected over the years, portions of certain fan bases. But, yeah, you know, only if you want the GM to get fired, and even then it's not fun. I mean, ultimately, sometimes you can get into that, but but that's only being vindictive <laughs> and saying, hey, I was right, He's, this team's really terrible. When it, especially when it's your own team, will only take you so far. Ultim, you know, ultimately, you just wanted to win. I mean, yeah, it might be great if, you know, if, say, Astros fans are displeased with Ed Wade, as they should be. Uh, you know, well, let me speak for this with the Royals. I, I won't speak for Astros fans. They can speak for themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, what would it take? You know, you think that, that, that's as far as I could go. Yeah, maybe if the Royals won 55 games, David Glass would clean house. And let's pretend for a minute that he would do the right thing and not, you know, go back into spending nothing again. Uh, but but it's still horrible. You still have to live through it, right? You, know? you still have to deal with being the butt of every joke. And you know, and, and, and people see this a lot of time. You, when you have a bad team, bad team, you sort of have the "don't make fun of my mom" thing going on. You know, I can make fun of the Rose all you want, but after a while, all the jokes get really bad. And then when you get to the point where other fans are coming onto the web, whatever website you're on or blog, and saying, "Yeah, I feel really sorry for you guys. I hope they get better." <laughs> Teams that bad. That that's 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 almost worse than the mockery. That's not that is definitely worse. When people don't even feel like you're a rival, that they're sympathetic and they want your team to get better, your opponents are saying that. <laughs> that that's the worst. Cameron, when you were uh, following these these sort of uh, Mariners teams, maybe from two three years ago, well, a couple questions. I'm curious as to if it ever wore on you. And then, uh, you know, on a sort of side note, maybe a more sentimental note. I know that uh, yesterday, last night. Um, uh, your your partner in crime over at USS Mariner, Derek Zumsteg, uh, said goodbye, at least you know I don't know if temporarily or you know partially to uh, to USS Mariner. I know that uh, sort of uh, I guess uh, of you know trying to kick trolls off the site was one of his was one of his responsibilities. I wonder if if at all because he mentioned this in his goodbye, if those terrible Mariners teams also maybe sort of wore on him. So maybe how it affected you guys, and if ultimately it might lead a blogger to his ruin. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. Like, in 2008, I remember when that was by far the worst. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than 
you know, Jose Vidro said he can clean up for a team that spent $120 million on their payroll and traded their entire farm system to try and win. And, you know, it's they, they, it was just an unbelievably bad year. It was not fun at all. Like, there was nothing that we were – we weren't enjoying it. We weren't happy to be proven right. There was nothing in the uh, that entire year that was anything but miserable. And so I wouldn't wish that on I – like, if you're an Astros fan or a Royals fan, don't root for that kind of season to happen. Cause it is really – like, you still want to watch baseball. You still want to enjoy – uh, the joy, you know, the the ability to watch a game and watch your team, and when they're that bad, it's not it's six months of misery. So even though like it produced a good result where the Bears cleaned house and hired a good front office, and now we're in a much better position, it was like uh, you know watching your kid have like a drug overdose or something. Like, oh God! You're not, you're not really rooting for your <laughs> drug addicted kid to like OD on crack. It might be the best thing for them so that they go to rehab and get better, but you, nobody roots their kid to like end up in the hospital, and that's really what it was like six months of a drug overdose. So. Uh, don't root for that. It was really bad. And, you know, I will say that I think that that season probably did have something to do with Derek's burnout. And, like, you know, uh, Derek's put so much work into the fight and not too many people have seen how much effort he's put in. I wouldn't say that he's just giving up and walking away. I would say this is, like, a job well done to where he's, he deserves to go retire after a lot of long, hard work and uh, go to something else that he enjoys. And um, you know, we're definitely going to miss Derek on the fight. He's uh, been a huge part of UNS Mariner and for whatever people enjoy of it, uh, he's the reason why it exists. And so hopefully uh, people will acknowledge his, his uh, accomplishments and really uh, a great job in building. But, you know, I think people enjoy the site. So um, kudos to Derek. I will definitely miss having him around. Yeah, and if I can editorialize for a second, I will say that uh, for anyone who points their Internet browser to uh, USS Mariner, um, Derek uh, has, a, has a touching uh, note. And then uh, Dave Cameron also shows his softer side. So when he's not talking about people dying in fires or children's uh, people's children ODing on crack, uh, he he does actually have a heart. It turns out, and uh, I will say that you you express yourself quite well. Well, let's 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 turn our gaze to to a more heartwarming story. Um, in in Milwaukee today, or not in Milwaukee today, um, but in Milwaukee in general, Ricky Weeks, who has has long been, I think universally acknowledged as being talented but bothered by the injury bug is off to a torrid start i don't necessarily know uh where, where he's at in terms of woba wrc plus maybe you guys can fill in those blanks for me but dave cameron ricky weeks is this a couple questions is this different than last year when he got off to a torrid start is is uh is he injury prone in general or have they been freak injuries and i think that you know a little bit about the scouting reports on ricky weeks too Give me everything. Give me everything about Ricky Weeks right now. <laughs> well, I think the thing with Weeks is, you know, he was the number two pick in the draft, uh, and uh, even though he went to a small school and the competition wasn't great, it was really hard to get past the bat speed. Like Ricky Weeks just swings the bat tremendously hard and drives the ball like crazy. Uh, for a second baseman, he has tremendous offensive abilities, and uh, he's got a patient approach at the plate. He's really everything you want in a hitter uh, for a middle infielder. He's not like a six-foot-four hour pools kind of guy, but when you're looking at a guy who can at least fake it at second base, he's not great. He's worked hard enough to get better, to be good enough to play second base, but, you know, a lot of patience, a lot of power, uh, line drive hitter, sprays the ball all over the field. Ricky Weeks is a tremendous, tremendous hitter. Scouts have loved this guy for a long time, and uh, I think at this point, you know, the injury last year 
uh, derailed what would have been a career year, but considering how hot of a start he's off to again, it looks like he's, unless he, if he can avoid the disabled list, Weeks is going to have a monster MVP type season, at least one or two. I mean, he's that kind of player where he could easily put up a six or seven win season, uh, and be kind of like a right-handed chase at least. Not as good defensively, but that kind of hitter at the plate. Weeks really can do it all, and I think, uh, you know, we're, as long as he can stay healthy, he will um, eventually become the Brewers' second best player, uh, and once they trade Prince Fielder, he'll be he'll be the star of that team. Now, I'm, uh, and I've gotten just now a uh, a message from Dark Overlord David Appleman. I see 450 WOBA, 177 WRC plus. Those are obviously amazing numbers. That does come with a 409 Bobbit, but if the if the reports about his well, of course he's fast, and also if he if he does hit the ball as hard as you suggest he does, Dave Cameron, we could probably expect. Something like an inflated batting average on ball and play. Uh, I'm also seeing a 212 ISO, which for your middle infielder, if he's also playing league average defense, that's not bad. It's not bad yeah. at all. Now, uh, I don't know if we could ever have a heartwarming story uh, like we could about Ricky Weeks for an, uh, um, for Jose Guillen. But if, if, if ever we could, Matt Clausen, it's happening right now. I was I was reading somewhere Jose Guillen had like a maybe he was going into play going into play Thursday a 313 batting average I think it was with a 240 batting average on ball and play is this is are we being proven wrong about Jose Guillen is he really a star or is yes. this uh, <laughs> yes definitively yes. or is this early I just, season I just got I just got a message from Dark Overlord Dave Appleman and due to Jose Guillen's hot start uh, this will be the last uh, weekend for Fangraphs ever. <laughs> after after when you when when you hear this, this will be our farewell podcast. Oh, okay, just kidding. Well, uh, I did oh. not get that message from for everyone, but uh, yeah, I, can we talk about Ricky Weeks instead? <laughs> no, uh, I, I would like. To. I mean, Weeks is Weeks is a great player, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, what, what can you say? Is just another small sample size thing. I mean, I like to you know Jose Guillen's nuts. Uh, sometimes it's kind of funny. You would like you would like to Jose Guillen's nuts. <laughs> uh, let's put yeah. some let's put some punctuation in there somewhere, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or can we can we go? That that was a backwards message. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Again, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's he's not this good. He's slow. I mean, he knows. I mean, some people say maybe it's because he's DHing now and he's not. You know, and he had these weird health problems. You know, I I have not. I think people of uh, who who are listening to this, pricing this story about apparently in the off season he did get some sort of surgery. This is the first we've heard about it. He just said this to the press where he uh, had a problem with blood clots in his legs, but and uh, not surprising for anybody who's seen him play defense. I mean, he might have had blood clots in his legs since like 2005. Uh, but uh, at least he's not dying of a crack overdose. Well, let me ask you this, Matt Clausen. This is a slightly different question, maybe something you could have perspective on. I assume that you frequent uh, like something like Royals Review or maybe other Royals-related sites. I, are there are the Royals fans saying I told you so? Do you see their point, and how do you react to that? Well, they say I told you so. I mean, I mean it's weird because uh, it's sort of like I talked about earlier with being vindicated. Uh, I'm happy that Jose Guillen has as many home runs as, as Carlos Peña and B.J. Upton combined as of this recording. But uh, you know, yay! It's you know you don't want your team to lose, and you know he knows maybe I will be wrong when people are saying, hey, we should you know we should. You know the team shouldn't cut Guillen. They should see if he gets off to a hot. You know if he if he starts to hit, maybe we can get a C prospect for him. You know I I still don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, I want it to happen as a Royals fan. But yeah, people. Uh, 
somebody was telling me they were listening to the radio the other day, and after you know the Ro- Royals are hitting some have some ridiculous team batting average because uh, they they had do have the singles train going, and somebody's saying they heard a caller call on talk radio saying, "Well, I think we have a big enough sample size now." Oh boy, <laughs> after seven games, but that's the that's the nature of our uh, internet democracy, I guess. That uh, all the geniuses come out at night. Yeah, they do. Now, listen. Um I don't know how democratic this is going to be uh, because I'm about to take the pod over um, and uh, with a subject that I, I clearly did not warn you guys about. You guys will know, because you're uh, smart baseball fans, that Colby Lewis dominated Oops. the other night. <laughs> that my cause celeb, my paramour, Colby Lewis dominated the Indians uh, the other night to the tune of 10 strikeouts in five and a third innings. Much like I did for Zach McPhee, I don't know what, two, three weeks ago. I'm going to do a, an over-under situation or, or a prediction situation. Klaus, let's start with you. This year, Colby Lewis, Texas Rangers, is he going to win the MVP and Cy Young or just the Cy Young? Tell me what you think. I think he's going to come in second in both. I think <laughs> uh, for the MVP, he's going to lose to Scott Fitzsednick. Okay. He's to steal like 212 bases. And for Cy Young, in an unprecedented thing, he's going to lose to Jason Kendall uh, <laughs> because the Royals are not are going to stop campaigning because if they're worried, they're, I think they're very worried about Podsednik and Kendall um, splitting the, the MVP vote. And so they're going to really push Kendall for the Cy because of everything he's done for the Royals pitching staff. The Royals pitching staff. Okay. I, lo- I, I like that prediction. A venture into the absurd. It could happen. Dave Cameron, what do you think? Colby Lewis. Well, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to win the MVP award. They might give him the Cy Young award, though, only because they're retiring it. They're actually going to, at the end of the season, rename it the Brett Anderson award, <laughs> and so that will then be given to Brett Anderson, naturally. Just, uh, so Colby Lewis may win the Cy Young award just because they need someone to take the trophy and hide it. Well, I bet he knows people in Japan. They could, he could bring it there. That's right. Yeah. The, the Cy Young Award will be the award for the best American returning pitcher, and the, the Brett Anderson Award will then go to the best pitcher of all time. Very good. Okay. You know, Brett is. Well, um, this uh, uh, this edition of the pod has officially jumped the the shark, so I think it's time to to wrap it up and uh, send it home. Let's do this. Let's say goodbye to you people, Dave Cameron. You've been an invaluable member of the pod as always thank you for joining us yeah thanks Carson. that's good and matt clausen you must be thirsty i haven't heard you pour your root beer once during the entire episode go get your go go crack go crack one open right now it's 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 quitting time it's quitting time well excellent this has been officially another edition of fangraphs audio i'm carson stooley and i invite you to listen to the pod as often as possible thank you for listening good night